listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Grab your Bibles uh, and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, We are going to be continuing our series on the Acts of the Apostles, and we will be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I've asked uh, Marissa Latigue to read for us today. Let's follow along with her down to verse 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So after Jesus uh, ascends to the Father, the disciples are gathered together to pray and ask God for direction and, uh, and for this power, you know, that Jesus has been talking about so that he can work through them. And so we've been working slowly through the the book of Acts and and we're coming to a close at the end of chapter two. And we see, we saw that the Holy Spirit did descend on the people of God as they're gathered to pray. And last week we looked at Peter's uh, first sermon and some 3000 people come to be followers of Jesus and they're baptized And then soon after that, this passage today, Luke sits down and describes this early church. And uh, he starts to talk about like what they are doing. And there's not a lot of fanfare. There's no hype. There's no strategy. There's no marketing. There's no consultant. They just devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And there's something about this that seems way too simple when we look at it. Uh, There's a key word in this passage that separates um, the attempts of the Western postmodern church from the first church, and that word is devoted. It's been said that in our impatient culture that we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. Um, We just sort of want to rush through the process and just get to the results without actually putting the work in. And at the core of this dysfunction is not necessarily style or structure, but actually just a lack of devotion. And so by trying to keep everyone interested and engaged, so to speak, um, even in my life in ministry, we've sort of created this rip-off counterfeit veneer for true devotion. And the early church devoted themselves to just these few simple things, and it changed the world. There are four main habits that Luke points out describing the early church, four new sets of routines and practices. And when we become disciples of Jesus, this should also describe our life, not only the life of the church, but our own individual personal life. To put it in Paul's words, he says that when we are in Christ, we're a new creation, that the old has passed away, the new has come. And so there are these new practices and new rhythms of our life, so to speak, that should mark our lives as disciples of Jesus. And so these young followers of the way, as it was called, started living with a new set of priorities and their focal point of all of their rhythms and everything that surrounded their lives were these four details and ideals. 
Uh, Luke starts off by saying that they were just devoted. I mean, uh, we've covered some of these topics in the in the past few weeks, and so I'm just going to review three of them, and I'm going to focus in on just one today. So what were they devoting themselves to? The first thing they were devoted devoted to is learning. They were devoted to learning. They had the habit of learning. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So that means that someone's teaching the apostles and someone is learning who. It's these 3,000 or so new believers. Now, they were there traveling in Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, for the the the. Passover, uh, 50 days after the Passover at Pentecost, they're all there in Jerusalem. So a lot of them have scattered back to where they lived before. We know that it's at least 120 plus. I mean, it could be somewhere, any, anywhere in between 120 and 3,120 new people are listening to the 12, the apostles teaching this new way of living. Uh, the apostles teaching was different than the uh, Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament. The apostles teaching is about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible and what it means to live day to day as a disciple of Jesus. And, and asking the questions like, what does this good news have to do with the whole human experience, food and justice and art and politics and suffering and geography and science? And maybe they weren't asking about science, but I'm asking about science. Like, how does it connect? And so they're, they're asking, what does this mean to live out the way of Jesus? Uh, the early church didn't think, hey, now we've got the Holy Spirit and he's our teacher. And so we don't need to do anything else. Like it was just the opposite. They sat at the apostles' feet, really hungry and desiring to receive instruction and teaching. And they were devoted to it. They were devoted to learning. Um, there is a temptation today for some to be maybe sort of an anti-intellectual because we have the Holy Spirit. Like we don't need the New Testament. We don't need to spend time reading God's word or reading books or listening to talks or getting more educated because we have the Holy Spirit and he's our teacher. And while this is true, they're not mutually exclusive. The, the important part is to recognize that because Jesus said that the Father is uh, looking for worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth, we should also be looking to worship the Father, not just in spirit, not just in truth, but in spirit and in truth. Now in our lives, the, the apostles' teaching have been handed down uh, to us in the form of the New Testament. And to be devoted to the apostles' teaching for you and for me means that we're just plainly submitting ourselves to the authority of the New Testament. We're learning from the apostles in the same way that these people did, the early church did. And we need to have this mindset of, man, I'm not going to stop learning. I think it was Einstein that said to stop learning means you start dying. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop learning. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to pour over the apostles teaching. I'm going to ask the spirit to enliven the words to make them come alive. And when I don't understand things, I'm going to refer to other people that have done deeper study on subject that I don't know about. I'm maybe going to ask people about it. I'm, I'm going to devote myself to the apostles' teaching. So disciples of Jesus are learners. We've talked about this before. The word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes. And mathetes is a learner, a student, or an apprentice. To be a mathetes means to be a learner. And a learner is learning how to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's the very simplest, bare bones 
definition. Be with Jesus is just learning how to spend time with him uh, in a relationship, praying to him, worshiping him. Learning to be like Jesus is just studying his practices, uh, his life, the way that he responded to conflict, the way that he treated women, the way that he treated children, the way that he treated people from different ethnicities. Uh, Learning to do what Jesus did is all about just healing the sick, right? Praying for people, listening, stopping, being patient, uh, getting away and praying at weird times like Jesus did. Uh, proclaiming freedom to those that are in captivity and on and on and on. And so they devoted themselves. They were just devoted to the apostles' teaching. And this is what it means to be a learner. The second habit that we see in the early church is also in verse 42. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to fellowship. Now, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. So I'll come back to this one in just a minute. Uh, The third habit that we see is, is that they were devoted to breaking bread. Uh, They were devoted to breaking bread. Some scholars uh, say that this is just about sharing meals with one another, which is a blast to do. And I really miss sharing meals with some of you guys. Some say it's about communion. Uh, Some say this, some say that. Is it sharing communion? Is it uh, just sharing meals? I say the answer is yes. I think it's both. It's probably a large meal that they had with one another because it says that they're breaking bread in each other's homes. It says that in verse 46. Uh, And so it's probably a little bit of uh, this large meal that they're sharing with one another. And then an element of that is communion or what we call the Lord's Supper, perhaps. And so there's just something that's very holy about breaking bread with someone. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed that there's something very intimate about sharing a meal with someone. It's, It's very difficult to eat with someone that you don't like. Like it's, it's easy, it's easy to sort of push through all of that and become best friends with someone that maybe you weren't really sure about at the beginning of the meal. If you've ever experienced that for me, if I ever have to engage in conflict or have a difficult conversation, it is way easier to do that over a meal. Let's grab a drink. Let's grab a meal. Let's hash this out. And it is beautiful to see what Jesus does over a meal. If you think, if you've ever thought about it, think about it. I mean, God provides when we eat, God is providing a way for us to sustain ourselves from outside of ourselves when we eat a meal. So when we're eating a meal, we're experiencing God's provision and his care for us. And this is deeply meaningful. When we eat a meal with someone else, we're sharing this common experience of God's provision for us. This meal creates an experience of unity and oneness at the table. Hopefully, hopefully that's the goal. Now, this is why most business deals, if you think about it, they happen around a table, around a meal, around some drinks. More conversation happens when people have drinks in their hands or sitting around a table. This is why Jesus was called a friend of sinners because he was eating lots of meals with sinners. He identified with them over a meal around a table. And this is why I think that it's super important that we share meals together. Breaking bread is not something to be taken lightly. And communion is the same. Communion is a common meal eaten together to remind us of the common provision that we share through Jesus. We are one in our need and one in taking God's provision for our need. This is what communion is. And it's beautiful. And I miss that as well. Uh, The next habit that we see is also in verse 42. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Your translation might even say 
the prayers. And this is referring to both individual prayer and corporate prayer. Now, corporate prayer would have been uh, selected prayers of the Jewish people, prayers out of the Psalms, for example. Um, They did not do anything without prayer. We've seen that already. We're going to see that again and again and again. They're so devoted to prayer. It's the centerpiece of everything that they did. It's the centerpiece of everything that we want to do. That's why we're devoting ourselves over the next 40 days to prayer. I mean, if you're not already spending time with God daily, I just want to invite you to set some some time aside. If, If you're not a morning person, do it at night. If you're not a night person or a morning person, set an alarm in the middle of your day. Like we talked about, 219 every day. We're just praying together. Even though we're scattered all across Bryan College Station in different ways, we're setting that time aside to say, Jesus, would you be glorified? Would you be magnified in me? Lord, I want to draw near to you. Would you draw near to me? Would you change me, God? And we're praying for other people in our community, all right? So that's that's why we're setting this time aside. We want to be people of prayer. It should be the centerpiece of everything that we do. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I tend to just rush ahead and start to try to make something happen before I surrender in prayer. I was, I was convicted of that this morning. I was reading in 1 Samuel chapter 23 and 24. Some of the guys are reading with me. I was blown away by David's devotion to prayer. Every turn, every time, he's got the Philistines uh, coming against him in one area, and then he's got his father-in-law, King Saul, hunting him down, wanting to kill him. He's hiding out in caves. I mean, he's fighting for his life. He doesn't want to harm Saul, God's anointed and so he's, he's submitting to God in prayer. Hey, God, do you want me to go here? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to stop? Do you want me to wait? And he is just waiting on God constantly. He's devoted to prayer. I want to be like that. I want us to be those kinds of people. This is a massive characteristic of someone who is a learner or a disciple of Jesus. Okay, now let's go back to the second habit that we talked about just a moment ago, which is fellowship, fellowship. It's This is one of those church words, just like disciple is. I don't really, I'm not really fond of either, even though they've been translated this way by scholars and people that are way smarter than me. Uh, it's just kind of turned into this white noise language that we we just kind of throw around. Fellowship, the gospel, disciple. What in the world is fellowship? When I say that word, I don't know about you, I start to immediately think of an image. I think of uh, a bunch of old people uh, and you know, people that I love, I'm not talking down to old people, but people that I love that, you know, they, they put together this potluck dinner after church on a Sunday night in the, you guessed it, fellowship hall. If anybody remembers, uh, one of those things, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And this word fellowship is much more than just hanging out with people. The word fellowship in the original language is the word Koinonia. And koinonia means common. It means having in common. It means sharing. And in verse 44 and 45, Luke sort of shades in and it expounds on this detail when he uses the word fellowship in verse 42. He begins to describe what it's all about. So I want us to look at it. Verse, verse 44, it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were together and they had everything in common. The word common is the Greek word koina. Uh, That's the word that's used. It's the root word 
of the same word koinonia that we see in verse 42. So are you with me? These two words, koina, koinonia, are connected. There's a correlation. And this is what Luke is saying. They were devoted to the fellowship, which is they were devoted to being together and sharing everything. Do you see what I'm saying? Fellowship definitely includes eating and praying together. That's what we normally call fellowship, but it's much more than just hanging out. Luke's first example of fellowship is not either one of these things, prayer or, or just hanging out. It, it's, it's much more than that. The church was so united and on the same page that if anyone had any kind of need, the others did not feel that they had the right to live on in wealth or excess or privilege without giving up something to meet the needs of those without. And so they would sell stuff and use the money to meet the needs of the poor and the marginalized in the church. You see what I'm saying? Like this is what Jesus calls his disciples to. Jesus says that if we don't renounce all that we have in Luke chapter 14, if we don't renounce everything that we have, we cannot be his disciple. Renounce simply means this thing is not mine. Like it's, it's yours, Lord. This house, this car, this job, these things that I have, this money that I've been saving and accumulating, and I'm, and I'm hoping that it's my safety. Like I renounce all of those things. You gave these things to me. They're not mine. They're yours. I have no claim on it. They have no claim on me. I just, I hold it open-handed for you to do whatever you want to do with it. Um, so the disciples are devo- devoted to this kind of commonality, this sharing of all things. And this is real unity, guys. This is where it all begins. This is what it's all about. To me, when I think about the most radical habit of the nascent church, this like growing church is fellowship because it's controversial. Uh, It's not a potluck dinner. It's radical. Real koinonia means that you and I give all of our possessions and our privilege to those that are without so that no one among us has any need. That's what's talked about here. In the middle of this entire passage is this thing about self-sacrificial living in the early church. They gave up stuff so that others could have stuff. They sold their possessions. They diminished their wealth. They diminished their power. They diminished their privilege so that others could have what they did not have. That's right in the center of this passage. Uh, Scholars call this a chiastic structure because there's some sort of like correlation to what's going on. In verse 41, what what we read last week, and in verse, verse 47, there's a connection. Verse 41 and 47, you see this numerical growth in the early church. 3,000 people in verse 41, and then verse 47, it says that, that God added to their number day by day by day. Um, and so once we move in, in this chiastic structure, chi coming from, or chiastic coming from the word chi, which means cross in the Greek alphabet. And so there's this cross. It's, it, it starts out here with the effect and it moves into the cause. And, and it's almost like a mirror image. So 41 and 47 talks about this numerical growth in the church. And in, and in verse 42 and 43 and 45 and 46 on the other side, moving into the center is this description of what the early church was like. And right smack dab in the middle is what's going on. The cause of all of these effects is in verse 44. And that is that all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
The church is growing. That's the effect. What's the cause? The self-sacrificial living of the early church. If we want to see the kingdom of God come in Bryan College Station as it is in heaven, if we want to saturate Bryan College Station with the love of Jesus, we need to learn how to self-sacrifice for one another. We need to learn how to share with each other uh, generously. Uh, Now, this is not socialism. It's not communism or some other political utopia. Jesus couldn't have been clearer when he said that my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is not some political or socioeconomic system that guides politics as much as some might think or want to think. The actions of these disciples are voluntary. So this distinguishes what's going on in the church from any other sort of political structure. No one is condemning the ownership of property. In fact, they're meeting in houses. So someone must own the house. Uh, There's no condemnation of owning property. The Bible's not forbidding um, or condemning uh, possessions or, or things that are used to create wealth or entrepreneurship or owning a business or anything like that. This is different. This comes from within the heart. It's the heart level response when someone else is in need. Uh, So this is about sharing my resources. Um, It's about sharing my stuff. It's about sharing my money. It's about sharing my time and opening my home and sharing my privilege. That that means like for me as a white male, I'm I'm not going to be the one on the mic all the time. Like I better have some other people around the table other than just a bunch of white people because I have something to learn. And my perspective isn't the only one. So this is super important. This is super important. We're going to share what we have, our privilege, our power, our resource, our finances with people that don't have. That's a descriptor of the early church. This is what koinonia is. This is what fellowship is. It's not just hanging out, having a good old time. Now, it is that, and there's something beautiful, but it's much, much more. It's radical. It's controversial. So in In closing, as citizens, my prayer is that we would really excel in these four characteristics and these four habits, and that we would be well-rounded, that we wouldn't just be a church that prays, but I want to be a church that prays. I don't want to be a church that's just devoted to the Word of God, although I do want to be a church that's devoted to the Word of God. Uh, I don't want to be a church uh, that's just hanging on to one thing and elevating it above everything else. I want us to be balanced. And so for us, that means that we've got to engage in this way. We've, we don't want to get lost in the church success game uh, like, like many do. And I have. I mean, it's gross. I've played that game. What if we were a church, uh, not a building or a time, by the way, that's not the definition of a, of a church, but a people that was devoted to vo- these four things, the word of God, breaking bread, prayer, fellowship. What if we were intentionally minimalistic. I mean, it doesn't get much better than this right now. Zoom, right? I mean, uh, it's simple in everything, gathering together on Sundays and house to house communities during the week, that we would be a church that's known how to really throw a great party, devoted to being together like family, so focused on prayer that we didn't do anything without praying first. Um, If we were so self-sacrificing that no one among us had any need, there was no fear of sharing and being open, no in, no fear of embarrassment by saying, hey, like I've got this debt I can't pay. I've got this bill. I, I need a new refrigerator. My, my tires are bald. I need some new tires. 
Hey, like, I, I don't have anyone to pick up my kids from school. Can you help out? I lost my job. I can't pay the bills. That we would be a community of people that we would feel this love and unity and connection for one another that we would share out of what we, what we need. Not that long ago, someone in our church needed a car. Someone else in our church had a car and they gave the car to the other family member. I mean, it was beautiful. I don't remember all of the details, but I remember being completely blown away by that. It's beautiful. Um, this is the kind of sharing with one another where people on the outside might think either one of two things, like they did when they heard the people praying in the upper room, speaking these different languages, that the response from people would be, wow, that is awesome. God is awesome. That's incredible. Or, oh my goodness, those people are crazy. They must be drunk. What if we were filled with the spirit like this? That's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. That's our desire. That we'd be ordinary people filled with extraordinary grace, extraordinary power. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church Podcast.